subject like uh, the one before us today. Uh, I really believe that um, if I were to take a microphone, I'm not going to do it because it'll mess up sound and stuff like that, but if I were to take, let's do it anyway, I'll apologize later. Um, I'm going to peel this apart here. There we go. And if I said to you, come say whatever you want to say, you might, somebody crack a joke. Somebody else might bust out a song, right? Uh, maybe you're one of those that says, no, I've got a, a scripture that's on my heart. And, and Kelly shared that this morning in worship. And we would make our way along and you would share special things to you. If I Now imagine somebody else saying, hey, I'd like a moment uh, with the mic. And it happens to be God himself, the Father. And he walked up here right now, and you know, I'm not sure I'd probably just pass out, but uh, I, he has the mic. What do you suppose he would talk about? Just a, just a guess of mine. I don't think he would look at me and go, well, duh, what do you think? But it's almost a duh. He would say, I want to tell you about my son, Jesus. It's all about him. It's not only all about him now, it's always been all about him. And here's the deal. Someday when, because you believe in Jesus and him alone, you will find your way into his presence, the Bible promises. And when you arrive at heaven, guess what you're going to want to talk about? Not the great life you lived, not the amazing ways you helped people or whatever. You're going to want to talk about one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ. I'm not, I don't belong here, you would say to yourself. Who am I to be in the presence of the eternal, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords? Amen? That's the truth that's in front of us here today. The very first sermon preached by one of the apostles, Peter, you'll find out in a moment. If you haven't turned to Acts 2, you can turn there in your New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, use your app or use the Bible that we tuck away in chairs all over the room. And uh, turn to the New Testament in the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then they lead right into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. But you're going to find Peter didn't have to scratch his head and go, well, I got a mic, what am I going to say? He said it, and he said it strongly and powerfully, persuasively, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, um, I've been a pastor for 40 years, and um, as, as a pastor for that many years, four decades, I've followed a fairly set pattern when it comes to developing and then delivering messages. Right? So I start out, you might wonder what goes on. Um, I, I start out and have always sort of followed the spirit of the great leader of the Old Testament, Ezra by name, who described his approach. He was a man of the word. He was somebody that, uh, that said things often and spoke well and clearly. And he said this in chapter 7, verse 10, his, his, his habit, his practice was to study the word of God chapter 7, verse 10, to practice the Word of God. In other words, live what you just read, and then to present the Word of God. So that's been my approach. That was my approach all week long, to 
to do what I've done habitually, to pray. I start out that way and to plan and to prepare and then to present uh, God's word to people who are here in the house or in other places this morning actually taking time to listen. Um, the purpose of my preaching has come up. What, what do you, what's your end game? What do you preach for? I'll tell you, it's easy. Change lives. I aim for nothing less than change lives. And you know what? Did a little checking this week. I preached over 2,000 messages in those 40 years. I have not been bored. Boring, maybe, but not bored. All right. 2,000 messages. And you, you know what? I can report to you um, I've been successful. You know why? How come I could say something like that? Did you just get puffy and proud on us? No. You're looking at one life that's been changed. That's why. Um, I want to tell you something that makes me nervous every time I stand up here, though. I kind of like to reveal a little bit of what's behind the curtain a little, you know, from time to time. What makes me nervous is um, living with a perpetual, actually, sort of fear that was, uh, that was instilled in me by Chuck Swindoll a long way back, almost 30 years ago, when I left Fullerton, where I was a pastor on his team, and came to Grace Point in Tigard, Oregon. And, you know, you might wonder, what did he say to me as he kind of, you know, sent me on my way, and, uh, and uh, we made our way north? What, what kind of words did he say? And you've heard me, uh, one, of, one of the comments he made is, don't blow it on Mother's Day. <laughs> Oh, that's a, you know, it's always been sort of a day that makes me nervous. He says, but he said this before all that, whatever you do, don't bore them. So isn't that great? And he really believes it's because the Bible's intrinsically alive and exciting. Don't bore people who gather to listen. Okay, I just have to confess, I, I live with that nervousness, a low-grade nervousness, but I I live with it, and I have to confess, I, there are times when I, yeah, I have preached some sleepers, no, no question about it along the way. Um, I, I, but, you know, people have a little more class than to snore out loud, usually. <laughs> Do you need me to name names right now? No, I'm just kidding you. Um, but here's one thing I don't want you to do, but I'll just put it out there. If you go wind the clock back to my first message, well, uh, there was a guy snoring, all right. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was a small gathering that, uh, let's see, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then uh, a few others, uh, my mom and dad. It was, it was fun. But, but today, I get to share a message that's not mine. It's Peter's, and it's in Acts chapter 2. Our current series is In Step with the Spirit. You're going to find today in a very strong, clear way, the Holy Spirit was woven through what you're about to hear. And uh, that remains true today. This is a Holy Spirit moment. The book of Acts has just reported to us, if you weren't here last week, go online, you can call up that message, and it has to do with uh, the birth of the church. Epic birthday called Pentecost. 
And that's captured in the first section of chapter uh, 2, uh, this unforgettable event. And it was, it was predicted by Jesus um, that the Holy Spirit was a promised gift. When Jesus left to go back to heaven, he said, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit who will blow your doors off. He didn't quite say it that way. But if you look at chapter 1, verse 8, it's, it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when that happens, you will receive power. It will be a, a, an unforgettable and unavoidable uh, moment. And, and indeed it was. So days later, as I've mentioned, the Holy Spirit came. And the spectacular impact is all in this early part of that chapter. It left the crowd, uh, verse 6 of chapter 2 says, they were bewildered, which is stunned. People were like, if it happened right now, I tried to capture it last week, people would have just went, and the talk at cafe, I guarantee you, would have been all about what just happened. That was unbelievable. And people would be connecting dots and gathering information. And what did you see? I didn't quite see it from that perspective. Here's what I saw and heard and so on and so forth. Um, it all comes down to a single question in verse 12. Would you look at verse 12? Because it's kind of what this sermon's all about. Um, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another the question. What does this mean? Chapter 2, verse 12. So in response to this mysterious and marvelous happening, uh, one of the 12 stood and delivered his first sermon. Let me just say on the front end, Pete can preach. You're going to see why I say that now, because he answers this question in his first message. What does this mean? Verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Remember the size of the crowd. It by now has grown to 120 people, and it was growing rapidly. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this thing to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. Where did he get that? Look at verse 13, just a few verses before. They assumed something crazy had just happened, and these guys are, this is like a early morning kegger. I mean, what's going on here? He says, that's not true. It's only 9 in the morning, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter's calling up the memory of a standout prophet named Joel in the Old Testament, a guy that lived 800 years earlier. In the last days, said Joel, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour, he says it again, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Hey, even if you don't know every little nuance here in detail, you've got the sense you're reading something big, don't you? If, if we weren't reading it from Acts and we were actually in Joel chapter 2, you'd be going, when is that going to happen? 
I will show wonders continuing in this message. In the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. This is sensory. Mind-blowing. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to, to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So clearly he's talking about an event that would, he tells us, be the great and glo- the, the arrival of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Will what? Be saved. Not be amused. Not be impressed. Not be humbled. And a host of other things. Be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. He's done quoting Joel now. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through Jesus, as you yourselves know. I'm not telling you anything new. You were there. You saw it. This man then was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now he quotes another Old Testament um, king, but he's operating here as a prophet. Uh, David said about Jesus, David lived a thousand years earlier. He said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead. You will not let my, your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of your life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He wasn't talking about himself. He was a prophet and, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants son of david favorite label of jesus on his throne look at verse 31 seeing what has what was to come he spoke of the resurrection of the messiah not just who he is not just that he would come but this resurrection that he would come back from the dead The resurrection of Messiah. He was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Another reference to the Holy Spirit. For David did not ascend to heaven Never went to heaven at that time. Yet he said, the Lord said to me, he's quoting another psalm, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now sensing that people wiggle in their seat when they hear too long a sermon, he draws it to a close in verse 36. 
Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Don't read any further. We'll get there in a minute. He begins his whole message by clearing up the commotion about why are these people going crazy. They weren't drunk. No early morning hangover party or whatever the speculation was. Peter, look at verse 16 again, way back at the beginning. Peter says, you see the word no that starts verse 16 there? It says, they're, they're not drunk, nine in the morning. You see the word no? It means no way. There's an emphatic voice to that word. It's a big word. It says not a chance. That's what he's saying. In other words, get over that really uh, kind of punky um, guess. This is way off the mark. And then he quickly um, points to Joel. I want to just point out in passing, if you go back to verse 5, these aren't just any old people we're talking about that are carrying on like we described last week. These are, what's verse 5 say? God-fearing Jews. How do you go from verse 5, God-fearing Jews, to they're partying crazy now? That's what Peter's getting at. He's going, get real. Wrong conclusion here. There's something huge happening. And he points to these wonderful words of the Old Testament Joel, uh, prophet Joel. Um, let me, let me kind of get into the moment of imagining yourself in the crowd now. If you were there and you heard him quote Joel, you would quickly do the math and go, man, he did, that's eight millennium ago. Eight millennia ago. That's a long way back. And Jews for a long time wondered, when will this day come? When will... Joel's words way back then become a reality. It wasn't just something the early group of Jews way back in the Old Testament thought. This was a carried on uh, consideration. When will he come back? When, when, when's this going to go on that Joel talked about? And here's the deal. If you and I were part of that 120, we actually could say with confidence, I can tell you when. Right now, just happened. We're the fulfillment of those words predicted so long ago. You know where I'm going, right? Jesus and so many people in the Bible predicted that he would come back for his people. For years, people have wondered that. Centuries, people have wondered that. In fact, I remember an early childhood uh, memory. Um, the world was falling apart. Where we lived was the Bay Area, and... Yes, we are responsible for all the wrong that happened in the 60s in our world. It all came from hate Ashbury. Do I need to say names? You know, uh, uh, Berserkly, we called it. It's, you know, UC Berkeley, home of the enlightened ones. You know, I mean, all this crazy. And it happened right in front of us. I mean, we would go to Berkeley, uh, Cal Berkeley football games. Uh, not for football because they were horrible. They were beyond bad. They were worse than, anyway, I won't. Um, offend anybody else, but um, 
But we would go to these games, and there was a group of people making a big commotion out in front of the stadium. My dad's smiling real big, and they would chant, and they would have these uh, flowing robes on, and they would have cymbals in their hands and dancing back and forth, and you had to weave your way through them to get into the stadium. And dad, dad would just say, come on, boys, let's keep going, keep moving, keep moving. And we're like, dad, they're offering free popcorn. Are you kidding me? You know, so we'd like to stop, and my dad's like, no, no. I'll buy you hot dogs indoor. And so sure enough, we hit them up for hot dogs inside this. You know, they were 25-cent hot dogs in those days. But um, So we're, we're part of that world. Our world was falling apart. But I remember asking Dad, because I started to pay attention to Jesus when I was kind of young. And I said, you know, Dad, what's, what's, when's Jesus going to come back? And I think your answer was something like, you know, people have been asking that for a very long time. And, and he didn't say it's going to happen, you know, in, you know, two years if this keeps up or whatever. He, he just said it's going to happen soon. And in the big spectrum of world history, that's still true. He will come back. The Bible encourages us to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? And he, and he told me that, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't really think that that's been said a long time, Dad. He's coming back, right? We know that much. Imagine if we're that group. We're alive, 2022. And he came back. It's a little bit of the spirit of what we're seeing here. These people are like, Joel's words just happened, and I'm alive to see it. This is so cool. Um, and by the way, what makes it so cool? Because this is the first time in all of history that the Holy Spirit came to live in everyone who believed. Everyone. There weren't a few that got it. This isn't just a Peter moment. It's everybody in his audience that believes in Jesus Christ. That's still true today. That's still the case 2022. Believe in Jesus. For all kinds of reasons, the Holy Spirit comes, I almost said crashing the gate. He comes more gently than that. He just comes in, hey, I'm here, as promised. And, uh, and you open the door and invite him in. And he says, and by the way, I'm not leaving. That's not what I do. In fact, I've sealed the door. Isn't that cool? Ephesians 1 says so. Yeah. I'm here as a deposit, a down payment for a future that awaits you because you belong to Jesus Christ. That's cool. The Apostle Paul um, would later stress the same teaching that I'm trying to, you can tell my excitement. Because it was different than it had ever been. Every so often, a, a Holy Spirit sighting or a touch in an individual's life, but not everybody. So the Apostle Paul actually asked a question. Do you not know? He's talking to Christians in Corinth in a later letter, 1 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you, he's pointing to individuals, 
Put your name. Point, everybody point to yourself right now so you know who's getting this. If you believe in Jesus, his words to you are, do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? That's amazing. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Ever since Pentecost, chapter 2, that has been true. So where does he live now? In me and you, right? If you believe in Jesus. That's where he lives. Uh, by the way, Paul's inference in asking, do you not know, is really, um, you should know. Of course, you, sh you, you do know, don't you? It's a bit of the tone here. In Romans 8, verse 9, he goes on to say this, the Apostle Paul, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, listen to me now, they do not belong to Christ. Oh, I was having a good time, Pastor, until you said that. What do you mean? Let me just ask the question. Do you have the Spirit of Jesus Christ in you? You see, the last days that Joel talked about here and Peter quotes here had begun. Had begun. Not final, not the consummation, but the inauguration, the beginning. They had come. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on all who believe. It says it again and again in just this sermon. Chapter verse 17, verse 18, verse 33, and so on and so forth. I will repeat this important question. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in your life? Your answer matters hugely. Because if you do not, then you do not have life. According to the Bible. Read it, write down Romans 8, 9, and study, study it for yourself. If you're not sure this morning, then what Peter says next in his sermon is, is meant for you. Um, remember that we started, what does this mean? Peter's quote of Joel lands on what it means in the last sentence he quotes. That's why we slowed down in verse 21. Would you look at verse 21 again? Most of you actually quoted it with me. Sermon, 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 so that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All means all, not some, not most, all who call upon the name of the Lord. And now Peter explains how. He starts out in this message by talking about Jesus as Lord. That's what verse 21 is getting at. Jesus is the Lord who saves people. Every person who calls upon him. And then he carries right into verse 22 and calls attention to some endorsing evidence, authenticating proof. What's that? Well, you have to go to the Gospels and take your time to look around, and you'll see a, a series of signs and wonders that say what verse 22 Peter is saying, that he 
he, uh, or verse, yeah, verse 22, these miracles, wonders, and signs are all evidence that Jesus is who he said he is. So let me make that practical. When you go on your little journey in the Gospels and you notice Jesus healing somebody, or you notice Jesus feeding multitudes of people, or you actually see Jesus casting out that dark demon spirit from somebody and setting them free. You see any of that kind of stuff, those are signs and wonders. The biggest of all, when you were there, if you happened to be there or read that, and saw somebody who was dead come back alive, you would have what Peter's talking about here, evidence that suggests that, that the one who came to save all who call upon him actually has the power to save all who call upon him. Amen? That's good stuff. That's why you can't look at um, miracles and go, wow, I'm so impressed. You haven't gone far enough. You're supposed to be impacted. You're supposed to go, that was an amazing miracle. Who did that? That mother lost her boy, and Jesus touched the coffin that was carrying him to the graves, graveside, and the boy came to life. No wonder the town blew up. But that's not enough. That's not the purpose for that miracle. The purpose for that miracle is what John said at the end of his gospel. These things... Uh, there's so many more things that Jesus said and did, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Amen? That's the deal. That takes it away from, wow, that was a fun tour of that little museum, to he just raised that boy from the dead. He just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He just cast out that demon from that boy, and, and now he can live. Look at him. He's in his right mind. Who does that? Jesus does that. Gee, I wonder what he could do with me. That's the point of miracles. And that's why Peter brings them up here. Signs, wonders, miracles. Um, those listening to Peter, I guarantee you, they were going, oh, my goodness. That's why he did I get it. They, they were, they were th probably some of them were actually there and saw with their own eyes or heard with their own ears things that Jesus had done. Remember, he hadn't been gone for very long. And just as people are going, <laughs> I was kind of there. Wow, I, I'm in, I feel special. Then Peter brings a jolting memory up. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Mm. Jesus was killed by wicked people. Um, did God lose control? No. No. Not according to words that say, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. That's not a God that lost control and went, oh, good, they got me. 
I got my son. Um, it was a predetermined plan by God. Jesus, you know, he, he even said of, of what Peter's preaching about when he was alive, he said, the son of man, this is over in Luke's first gospel, right? Luke wrote Acts 2. Um, he said in Luke 22, 22, the son of man, he's pointing to himself, is going to go to the cross as it has been determined. This was not an accident. This was a plan. So Peter doesn't hold back here, is my point. He says hard things. He draws out, actually, the dark details. It wasn't just the cross. I can say the cross, and some of you wear crosses. It doesn't have the kind of cringing effect it's, it was having in his sermon. That's why he says that, that you nailed him. You handed him over. You put him to death, and all of that, by you. That's where it's like, oh, gosh, I was just about to get excited here. You have to call me out. Let me just say it what it is. Call, talk about a preacher calling a spade a spade. His blood, Jesus' blood, was on their hands, carried out under God's sovereign plan. And centuries earlier, way before Jesus came to live on this earth, he was still in heaven. There's a great prophet of old named Isaiah. And he, he, he actually made the connection that the carnage carried, a, carried out that we've read about and Peter's talking about here. The carnage carried out by wicked people against Jesus was actually deserved by the people that did it. He said this in Isaiah 53. Listen to these words, verses 5 and 6. He was pierced, speaking of Jesus, what we just read about, he was pierced for our rebellion. He pierced for Steve's rebellion. He was crushed for my sins. He was beaten. So I could be whole. He was whipped so that I could be healed. You get in the first hand, first person? All of us, Isaiah says next, verse 8, 53, 8. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own way. Yet, the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. Who does that? Someone who, according to plan, was sent his son to take the place of people like you and me. Our world doesn't want you to believe it, but you're a sinner. You were born that way. You got really good at that. And the same is true of the guy that just said that of himself. Um, 
if you're thinking, how, I, I don't think I could do that. You're not the first person that thought that way. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, listen to this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Would you agree with that? It's me. I used to have people make a list of all the people you're willing to die for. And almost everybody's list is a husband or wife and uh, kids. It's not a long list. So most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might possibly be willing to die for a person who was a standout good person. This is from Romans chapter 5. Then he explains what we've just read. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Hold on. Wait for it. While we were still sinners. Romans 5.8. It wasn't even on a good day. My best day. Jesus went to the cross for me when I was as ugly as I could possibly be with sin. That's why this table should reset everything for us every time we gather around it. That's why every time you hear the name of Jesus Christ, it should be one of worship and awe and amazement and humility and contrition and so much more. And I'm pretty sure right now, um, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved just got real personal for all of us. Pretty sure of that. Pretty sure. So with people wincing at what they've heard, maybe some in our gathering or listening today, uh, wincing at the thought of Jesus, an innocent man actually dying for the guilty masses of people. Um, that alone would be tragic if there wasn't a resurrection to tell you about. That's why Peter brings it up. And he brings it up again and again. Verse 24 is my favorite. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Wow. This is the great victory of the gospel. It's true that Jesus is Lord. And he, and, he, and he was put to death in place of sinners. But if he had not been raised to life again, hear me now, if that had not happened, then the gospel would be merely a compelling story. Rich. Something to make movies about and write books about but it would stop short of having any power to change somebody's life. If all it was was somebody said, I'll die for him or her, you'd go, that's amazing. That's, a, that's off the hook. I mean, that's, that's something to talk about forever. Oh, no. He came back to life again. He rose from the dead. That's the amazing central theme of the gospel. Three times, three times in his message, verse 24, verse 31, and verse 32, he refers to the resurrection. 
God raised Jesus from the dead. Um, it was a plain fact witnessed by at least the people in this gathering. And, and I got an assignment for you. I want you to go to later today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a long, will become one of your favorite chapters in the Bible, I'm convinced. And it's all about the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection and the extreme logic that we have no hope, none whatsoever without the resurrection. Okay? So, so please find your way there today. But I, I want to wrap things up here. Um, Peter's, um, not only had he seen with his own eyes the resurrected Jesus, but he was there when Jesus ascended back to heaven. He stood on the Mount of Olives and and he saw with his own eyes Jesus returning. That's what verse 33 is saying. He was exalted and raised to the right hand of the Father. But Peter was actually there and saw that happen. Um, Swindoll has noted that fact that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father vindicates all of Jesus' claims. And people go, well, how can you say you're the life? Because I came back to life. Well, you're, you say you're the resurrection. That's right. I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. And in fact, if you believe in me, you will live even if you die. And if you live and believe in me, you will never die. Um, there's a powerful summary I've held you at bay on a little bit here. Peter states, and if you look at me, I need to point a finger because I think that's exactly what he did here. Therefore, let all of you, let all of Israel be assured of this, that God made this Jesus whom you crucified. It's hard to hear those words if you take them in. And it's really hard to hear him if somebody's pointing a finger at you. And if Peter had another finger to point, he would probably do this. You crucified. I crucified. That's what he's getting at here. He's both Lord and Messiah. Um, Luke reports the results in verse 37. You can almost imagine them, but they're so important. Let's read them. Verse 37, when the people heard all that was just said by Peter, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? This message ends the same way it began. God sent his son to save you. You rejected him and killed him and God raised him from the dead and declared him to be Lord of all, that all happened. And the result of taking that in was they were cut to the heart. Do you know what the word means? Convicted. They no longer thought, I know somebody that Jesus had to die for. Because they're a real schmuck. Right? They probably had to die twice for them to be that bad. It's not true. 
But at some point, we all get to come to this uncomfortable place and say, that's for me. Not just me and you. It softens it when I say that. It's for me. Cut to the heart. Convicted. And that's what happens whenever the Holy Spirit works in the heart of a sinner. John 16, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment that you deserve. That's what he does. That's why you can't hear this dispassionately. You're hearing this message and you're going, what should I do? And that's why they ask the question, what should I do? Let me personalize it a step further. Have you, have you seen your part in killing Jesus? Not them. Not these nameless people. You. Have you repented of your sin? Because if you see your part, it'll, it'll stir, it'll convict, it'll cut your heart. And if you do see you, then have you, have you repented? More on that next week, but it means not just your heart, not just I felt bad, but my life. And he says here, um, Peter answers their question, what should we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive, here he goes again, the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who live in 2022, whom the Lord God will call. See the connection? I sure do. If you've Thought good thoughts about Jesus, you haven't gone far enough. If you haven't repented of your sin, the reality is he died for you. And he requires that of you. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. As the lights come way down, um, I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. I, um, this sermon began and ended with two questions. What does this mean? That's how it started. And what should I do? Is how it ended. Let me take all the colorful words away and say you need to repent of your sin. What should we do? Repent now. Start this moment to let Jesus Christ be Lord of your life. Remember my haunting question at the beginning, earlier in this message. Who sends his son to die for sinners? Then forgives them for killing his son. Who does that? 
I think you know the answer. The same Father who forgives sinners still. Who waits to hear them say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for for the sin in my life. Have your way with me. Every part of my life. Thank you for sending your son to save me. And now, please come, Holy Spirit, to live in me. I now hold nothing back from you. I ask you to be my Lord. prayed that prayer this morning, I want to welcome you into the family of God. And we're about to do something that is the most holy thing Christians do, that draws us closer and deeper than almost anything else to the things that we've considered this morning. And that's to share communion. Servers are going to join me because they'll bring it to you now the bread and the cup, you know about those things, but you're supposed to let those things deeply impact you. The, the bread represents the body of Jesus. We read it in more graphic words this morning, hard words. The blood is represented in the cup. His blood poured out for you to be able to cover your sinfulness with his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what the gospel's about. And how come? Seems so easy to say because of the great love of God, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. As you receive communion this morning, wait and we'll take it together and let's just share in this song. I'm all in for you now, Lord. Let's worship.
is in Christ, they are a new creature. That's what we just sang about. The good news is you're brand new if you believe in Jesus. And you belong now to him. And he is the one who wants to lead the way through his spirit, moment by moment, day by day. Jesus took the bread with his disciples and he said, I want you to have this moment together until I return. So take the bread and remember me. Let's take it and remember him now. the implications of Jesus giving his life for us. We're, we're on the minds of the apostles all the time. Paul was the one that says Christ died for all people so that the Steves who live, put your name there, would no longer live for themselves, but for him, Jesus, who died and rose again. So in the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, remember me. Let's do that now. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all is new. We're going to sing a final song. But I'm going to ask you not only to stand for this song, but with the lights down to give you a little more privacy feel. I want to invite you, if you're here today and you are surrendering to Jesus for the first time, I want you to make your way to the middle aisle and come down to the front. I'll stand here. Other leaders will join me. We just want to pray with you. Not a show, none of that. If you're online and watching and you're saying, I'm, I'm moved in my soul, I, I feel like God delivered this message. Well, guess what? He did for you, for me, for us. If, if, if you're saved and you know Jesus, sing as an expression of worship and remember people in your family and, and school and friendships that don't know Jesus. They need to be made new, and the only one that can do that is him. Amen. So I'll be down here in front while we're singing. Let's move around a bit. Let's worship, okay? Desperation, I 
praise God, right? Praise God. And I, I don't mind telling you what this wonderful woman of God just whispered in my ear and sang from her lungs, and that is that Jesus is coming for me. Amen? Amen. Hey, you know what? I know you're praying for somebody that you know that needs to have that kind of conviction. And we will join you in that. We will pray here and keep praying until God pries open the door and goes in and takes over and his spirit begins to build brand new people again and again and again. Amen? So to that end, if you're watching online, you're still here in the building, would you please reach out for prayer? Tell us if you prayed this morning. We want to hear that. We want to lift you up and help you take steps ahead. So God bless you. Let's go next door and enjoy.